Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is coming. Amen. Word of God for our meditation this Sunday is found in Luke 21, verses 25 to 36. Our gospel is printed in your bulletin and already read. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you may have wondered why today's gospel was chosen for the first Sunday in Advent. It seems kind of dark for the beginning of a season that that we tend to think of as as positive and, and hopeful as we look forward to Christ's coming at Christmas. But Advent is also about Christ's second coming, and we cannot look forward to that if he doesn't tell us something about it which is what he does in Luke 21. Yet it is also the case we can only have a positive and hopeful outlook on his second coming if we know and trust what happened with his first coming. Our Advent series this year keeps this in mind as we consider that he comes bearing gifts. That's not talking about Santa who puts conditions on receiving his gifts. You know, you'd better watch out, you'd better not cry, you'd better not pout. No, it is Jesus who comes bearing the gifts that we most desire and need, and they are real and profoundly important, and he offers them without conditions. He brings hope, peace, joy, and love. These four things are what the four candles of the Advent wreath are traditionally identified with. These gifts connect what Christ's coming at the first Christmas meant and brought with what his coming on the last day will mean and bring. And the first of these is hope. So we need to understand what hope is and isn't. To many people, hope is just wishful thinking taken to a a higher level or, or given a nobler purpose. What typically distinguishes hoping from wishing is expectation. If I wish for a million dollars, that's just expressing a desire. But if I hope for a particular present under the tree on Christmas, well, I'm I'm already picturing it there, handling it in my mind as though I already have it in my hand. The thesaurus gives us another word for this, optimism, which we might generally define as having a positive outlook. And in most cases in which we normally use the word hope, there is really to set it apart from being optimistic. But in the, cra- in the case of our Christian faith, hope means and does a lot more. You can be optimistic that it won't snow on the day of your big event, but it still might. But since in Scripture, hope is always connected to the promises of God, promises that cannot and will not be broken, there is no uncertainty, no ifs or conditions or still mights with Christian hope. In Christ, we do more than just think our future is bright. 
We know that it is. It simply hasn't happened yet. This difference and distinction is, is perhaps best understood by getting specific, and especially by showing how much farther what Advent and the Bible give, how much farther that takes us than what fervent wishes and positive thinking ever could. Here in Luke 21, Jesus shows us that hope outruns optimism. Consider the first paragraph of our reading, verses 25 to 28. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth nations will be in anguish, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the surging waves, people fainting from fear and expectation of the things coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to happen, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is near. Here Jesus is telling us, telling his disciples of all times, what things will be like as the days of this world come to a close. It will not be good, not for anyone. We are not given enough information to be able to decipher everything in order to predict exactly what will happen. But that is by design so that we stay watchful and always ready. But even without more details, you can imagine how mere optimism would work as, as these things are, are going on. Hey, whoo! There are things going on in the sky that no scientist has ever seen before, let alone anticipated, but don't worry. Tomorrow will be a brighter and better day. Or the heavens are shaking and I can't help but be reminded that if this is the end for me, I have a lot of things on my conscience that I've tried to ignore, but I won't worry. I'm wishing hard that everything will be fine when the end comes. That kind of optimism will serve you no better then than it does today if you try putting a positive at, pitting a positive attitude against a tsunami or wishful thinking against a collapsed economy. Most importantly, when everyone on earth looks up, and sees Christ coming with the clouds in all his power and glory, even the most optimistic heart will fail, because at that moment the future will have arrived in stark reality, and every excuse and orientation will evaporate into oblivion. I'm basically a good person. Of course God will let me into heaven. Jesus is all about love and acceptance. So I'm sure none of the things that I've kept on doing against his will are going to matter. And sure, I, I admit I'm not perfect, but nobody is. And I've done enough good and avoided enough of the really bad sins like murder and voting for the wrong candidate. So, so paradise, here I come. None. None of those kinds of optimism are going to work when Jesus comes to judge. And all will know it. Those who have not repented of their offenses and rebellion against God, and who have not put their faith in Him, 
will still be in their sins. And no amount of optimism will change anything or convince Christ to ignore anyone's guilt. Optimism may have run a good race, but it will have fallen down flat in failure before the finish line. But our hope is entirely different. It will not only outrun such optimism, but it will reach the finish line of heaven and enter into the kingdom God our Father has prepared for us from the beginning of the world. Our hope will see the signs in the sun, moon, and stars and experience the anguish among nations and observe the fainting and fear of those around us. And instead of driving us to the ground in terror, it will stand us up and lift up our heads because we know what it all means. Christ, our Savior, is coming back to take us home. The last stage or step of our redemption will have been completed. How can we have such confidence? It does not come from within us. It is not a result of our thinking or choosing or our working or resolving. It comes only from the only one who is absolutely sure and certain and trustworthy in all things, from God himself. And he gives us this bold assurance freely and generously, not as a reward for anything that we might do or be, but despite everything that we do and are. His undeserved love and favor are what claim us, save us, and reserve us homes in the new Jerusalem. We have hope because our Lord is a God of grace. That is exactly what we need. Because the only thing that we deserve from God is punishment for our rebellion and sinfulness. We are guilty of too many sins to ever estimate, let alone count. We we turn our backs on the Lord and ignore His Word when it's inconvenient or uncomfortable. We prioritize our pleasures over His desires. We tell lies and we tell lies about whom we lie with. We hurt and hate our neighbors and often even our loved ones. We disobey the people and rules we don't like and obey the sinful impulses of our flesh. And we create new rules that we prefer. Anyone, every one of these sins and so many others earns us death and damnation to hell. The the fate that we wish to escape on the last day, the verdict we don't want to hear from the judge, the reason for fear and fainting when he comes with his power and glory. But in love and mercy, God provided a way out. He gave us hope. The Father sent His only Son to take our place, to obey His will and law perfectly, which we could not do, and to take the full punishment for all our sins so that we would not have to. Jesus Christ came at the first Christmas, and He lived exactly as His Father called Him to live, and then He suffered And he died on a cruel Roman cross exactly as the prophets had said he would, paying exactly the price required to satisfy God's wrath 
and justice. Jesus did it all. And He did it all for us and for everyone. He took away all our sins and guilt and gained us eternal life in heaven. And it is yours. Believe it. It is certain and it can be counted on. The only thing not yet complete is our entry into paradise after the resurrection. But that is coming. And we know what will happen, and we know where we will be. That is our hope, and it is sure, and it is sure better than optimism. We know this because Jesus, the the very one who works our salvation, the embodiment of God's grace, he tells us so. He told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they are sprouting leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is actually near. So also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Amen, I tell you. This generation will not pass away until all these things happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The illustration of the trees tells us that that we can be certain when we see the signs that his second coming cannot be far behind, just just as summer follows spring. Of course, there will always be those who do not believe, skeptics and rebels, and, and those who just love their sins too much to leave them. And they are the generation that will not pass away until Jesus comes again. No matter what happens on the earth or in the sky as things get worse and worse, as the world winds down and down, we have His promise. His words will never pass away. Every truth He has told us and every promise He has made us will stand sure and secure. We are not just wishing this to be true. We know it to be so. As time runs out, our hope will always outrun optimism. But this doesn't mean that we can get too comfortable or complacent or or put our confidence more in our believing than in Christ, the one we believe in. He gives us a warning. Watch yourselves, or else your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the worries of this life. And that day may come on you suddenly, for it will come like a trap on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Stay alert all the time, praying that you may be able to escape all these things that are going to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. There's an old joke about how if you and your friend are being chased by an angry bear, you don't need to outrun the bear. You just need to outrun your friend. But imagine trying to do that while carrying a cooler full of beer. Or worse yet, the mama bear's baby cub. You won't escape what's coming. In the same way, we are warned not to overload our hope with things that will weigh it down and keep us from running as we should all the way to the finish line. That unholy relationship you have is a dangerous burden to bear. So is that 
oh-so-satisfying sin that you repeatedly return to and have little desire to repent of. That habit of trusting yourself first and foremost and God only when you're knocked back on your heels will hobble your hope and simply failing or forgetting to trust the Lord when you're dealing with health issues and family conflicts, bills to pay and homes to run, long hours at work and short nights of sleep. The worries of life can weigh you down and keep your hope from running and reaching the goal of your life. Our goal and God's goal for us is to escape all the things that are going to happen before the end. Not necessarily to avoid experiencing them, to not be here for them, but to not be discouraged or destroyed by them when they happen. But most of all, the goal is to stand. To stand before the Son of God and Son of Man, our Judge, in both confidence and innocence. Confidence because we know Christ has done everything for us that needs to be done. And that cannot be taken away. And innocence because we are justified through faith in Him. On the cross, Jesus exchanged our sins and guilt for His righteousness and perfection. We are qualified for heaven because God loved us. Which is why we cherish the gifts He gives us and particularly pay attention to them at Advent. This is the season when we experience again the thrill of anticipation. Looking forward with God's Old Testament believers to the coming of the Messiah who would be born the Savior of the world and also looking forward with all of God's New Testament people to Christ's coming again to take us home to that new heavens and new earth, the kingdom prepared for us since the foundation of the world. Today's gift, hope that outruns optimism, is a precious one that we do not want to keep to ourselves. It changes not just our eternal destiny, but, but our earthly outlook on everything. And we want to share it, especially with those we know and love. Christmas gives us a great opportunity to share this gift of hope. That's why our Synod has put together the, the C18 program with the goal that, that the brothers and sisters of our church body, acting and walking together, will invite one million souls total to join us on Christmas Eve, to, to hear the good news of, of light that shines in the darkness. We can be a part of that. We are a part of that. We have something that the world does not know or understand but desperately needs. We have hope from the Lord. Hallelujah. Please rise. May the Lord increase your love and make it overflow for each other and for all people so that he may establish your hearts as blameless in holiness before our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his saints. Amen.